Welcome to the newest episode of the Cosmic Matrix podcast. Before we get into today's topic, we just wanted to share that we do have a couple spots available for a time of transition retreat in Peru this November 25th to December 1st. So if you were on the fence about coming to join us deep in the jungle of Peru, we're going to be doing yoga, qigong, meditation, having different talks, all sorts of different exercises. And we're basically going to be getting into the practical aspects of everything that we talk about on the podcast and showing you how to do that in a very embodied way and giving you all the tools that we do in order to anchor this knowledge that we speak about on the podcast into your being. Um, So if you were on the fence about coming to join, please contact us soon because these spots do tend to fill up and you can learn more about the retreat on Bernhard's website, veilofreality.com or mineloramatsu.com and you can fill out a form and apply there. So... Today's podcast is definitely a big topic and it's a much, uh, it's a difficult question to answer, but we're going to attempt to answer it anyway. And it is, what is your relationship to the divine? So we use the divine. I like the divine because the word God has actually been so distorted that it's become such a trigger word for people. And even the divine can still be a trigger word for people as well. But we're going to be sharing about like what our relationship to God is. What do how this a difficult question to answer? But we're going to attempt to answer it. What is God? Um, you know, how do we use this uh, experience of God in aspiration and surrender? Also, to speaking about divine grace. You know, building a healthy ego. How we destroy that healthy ego later, and the impact of meditation, and why meditation is so important in strengthening your connection to God. So that's just a little bit of what we're going to be getting into in the first hour. And of course, this is always going to be a two-hour podcast. The second hour you can access by joining our membership forum where you're going to get access to all of the second hour of all of our podcasts and also access to this amazing forum where you can share your experiences, your insights in the safe container of the forum away from all the social media trolls and whatnot. So um, yes, to begin, I'm going to ask you, what is the divine? <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate question. Yeah, but you, as you said, we're also dealing then, talking about uh, the divine God. What is the divine God? How do we experience him, it, whatever you may want to call it? We're being confronted with the limitations of language, right? And there's the, from the Tao's perspective, the Tao that can be named is not the Tao, right or if you meet the buddha kill him or something exactly all these (laughs) koans and parables and metaphors and symbolisms basically that's what we're dealing with and we are attempting to describe something that is undescribable because ultimately uh, it is an index it's a deep inner experience yeah the mind is going to be the last to know (laughs) yeah exactly the mind is almost most often uh, trying to reject it you know deny it and all of that because it's coming from this very limited separative ego consciousness um but we can describe it but again like the saying goes you know you can point at the you know don't mistake the finger pointing at the moon for the moon so to speak that's another saying that ties into that in relation of, of describing but we can you know speak out of our own experiences and relating to various teachings and uh, spiritual traditions we've been also working with um now you know i think it's we let's maybe start about elements or characteristics of what the divine experience entails or mm-hmm. what the divine is yeah yeah and i like what I, I took this from osho um that god is not a person it's a presence so that's the key distinction and this is the difference between what most people know God to be. I know even myself, I didn't grow up as a Catholic or any Christian, but since that was a collective norm, I thought that God was a guy with a beard in the sky who judged you. <laughs> like, that's what I thought. I grew up around Hinduism and it was all about, you know, learning that you are through the person that it's, it's, it's about the uh, idea like I am that. That was my main guru, my parents' guru's teaching. And so it was about like, more this process of inquiry rather than being like this is what god tells you you should do it was more related to that so i was 
I was raised in a very unconventional religious norm. But yet at the same time, when I heard the word God, I was, I thought it was a guy in the sky who judged you and he had a beard and like <laughs> a scepter or something. White so, guy too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and, but that's, but that's the whole thing is that God is actually a presence. It's an essence. It, um, when we're connected to God really deeply in our being often, you know, we feel joy, we feel love, we feel connection, we feel peace, you know, we also see the meaning in everything around us. Like there is, when I, I've known when I've accessed the highest states of consciousness that I have, um, that I, there was no conflict between me and the outside world. Like I was, saw everything existed exactly for the reason that it existed. And I saw the meaning in all things. And I was profoundly at peace um, when feeling like that. So that's the kind of state of being that I think slowly, especially through the embodiment practice, we're trying to anchor down. And so I think it starts really from the bottom up and the top down at the same time. Like there's two different approaches to, to doing this. So you need to clear out the vessel, meaning do the, your embodiment work, clear out your traumas from your body. And also at the same time, you have to illuminate the intellect and all the being and spiritualize the being. So it's like happening on two levels. And that's kind of how you merge heaven and earth. And that's, that's, at least that's my theory. We'll see what happens. So uh, No, but that's true. I mean, that's exactly the approach of Sri Aurobindo's integral yoga. It's a descent, a descent, you know, to bring up, you know, uh, you know, almost like the Kundalini from below and the descent of the super mental consciousness, let it infuse your mind, the intellect to evolve it or clear it to the higher intellect, the intuitive mind and uh, purify your whole being. And in this purification process, all your shit is going to come up. Mm -hmm. That's the whole point of like, you know, video, as you mentioned, your wounds and traumas, this lifetime, past life, which is especially more heightened in this time of transition we're in right now, a lot of stuff is coming up, has its purpose to clear the vessel. But even beyond wounds and traumas, even our own ego stuff, right? Our ego identification, which we have talked about in the last podcast, even Reggie Ray talks, the ego itself is actually a trauma response, yeah, right? Because <clears throat> it li lives in this illusion of separateness. And, you know, uh, what it then also ties into the question when about talking about the divine and anchoring the divine and aligning with divine will, then who I am, when you ask the question, what is your relationship to the divine? Well, who are you? Who am I? Uh, who am I? Yeah. That's the ultimate question, know thyself. And I can, you know, that's, that's the deep self inquiry, you know, we also ties into meditation practices, and establishing this deeper witness within that can stand outside your personality observe yourself and i know my own practice when i really deeply inquired over the years of who i am you know for m many times i mis mistook mistook that's mistook, a word yeah. mistook my true self uh, uh my my ego personality for my true self mm. you know the true self again what is the true self well that is your divine self your you can say it, your higher self your soul essence uh your psychic being you know that is your state who you truly are uh, it is grounded in peace and joy and, and bliss and not depending on any external circumstances. Yeah. And in my own process, when I was really deeply inquiring, who am I? I realized that the, the I who I think I am is mostly accumulated desires based on conditioning, programs, wounds, traumas, social, culturally, ancestral, you know, this ego personality, which is simply not real. Yeah, that's right. why God is also thought to be like this I am presence, because it's I am without anything after that. Exactly. And then I remember Sri Aurobindo talking about, you know, it's so hard to really tune into our true essence, your true soul being. And most people mistake the true self for this ego personality, what he talked about, actually. People mistake the soul for the desire soul, right? The personality. The personality that still has certain desires that still wants to be fulfilled by external means, mm -hmm. right? So one sign of like the more you align with truly your divine essence is you have one established peaceful state of being. There's also this joy and bliss and it doesn't have this, has to be this peak emotional high experience. Yeah. But the key point is it is not depending on any, fulfillment of desires that's why uh, you know you various traditions talk about um you know 
letting go of desires. And letting go of desires has been also distorted. doesn't mean to live an aesthetic life and denying the physical life and all of that, but this non-attachment, truly understanding. And most often, many of us on the path, well, to more or less degrees, but definitely myself, as you progress in your life, the more you realize that nothing in the outside world can truly fulfill you, yeah. right? No relationship, no job, no career, no material things, nothing. You know? That's the first step when Buddhists take refuge, as they basically say that, you know, I need to figure out my own mind, I need to figure out my own suffering, I'm going to stop seeking uh, happiness in samsara, basically. So I'm going to go within first. That's like the first step is like you give up on the outside world making you happy because you see that it's ever changing, that it's going to be full of, you know, life, death and getting old. And then you start doing the internal journey to figuring out your own mind. Yeah, exactly. And the way that maybe has been distorted in the past, you see it in the, you know, in the Western Christian traditions or as an Eastern tradition, the aesthetics is it has turned into a denial of life, of mm -hmm. trying to escape, even demonizing the body, uh, you know, sin is flesh is sin from the Christian perspective. Yeah. You know, life is, you know, we're born in sin. We need to reach heaven, something out there. Yeah. But Catholicism oh, is such an archonic. That's like a guilt religion yeah. in itself or yeah. the aesthetics, you know, of denying anything in the material world and just escaping somewhere out there, you know, beyond the body and mind and just staying, trying to stay in the samadhi place of this impersonal state, mm -hmm. but not engaging in life. So there's, there's the distortion of it, of this truth, basically. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And this is what created people's resistance to the word God. Like I know for when I was growing up, like I had that experience of God, but um, all through my 20s, like I thought like religion was just like basically a big joke until in my I think I've spoken about this on other podcasts in my late 20s. I had my first awakening experience where I like literally got down on my knees and prayed what was happening there. I was basically surrendering. I was like, I can't figure out my life situation. I need help. Like that was basically what happened. But I was surrendering to a higher power. That was the first moment when I gave up the idea that it was only my doing and my own personal will that was creating life. And I was like, I need to request help for some outside force. That's the way I related to it at first. But then I really realized it was this spark within me that just got turned back on essentially. And it was, I kind of got out of my own ego self and I was like, there has to be some higher reason why I'm going through what I'm going through basically. Yeah. And that also ties into this necessity deeper sincere aspiration yeah but in, you know even like you see it in a christian edition which there's truth there's a lot of truth in the bible but people has distorted it you know making it into a dogma and whatnot but it it's uh, exemplified in the saying ask and ask and knock and knock and you shall receive mm -hmm. right? yeah that's what happened in that moment because i was pretty much like i was in such a bad situation i was like in a relationship with a basically abusive narcissist i was coming off of drugs i was taking like you know like pain really strong painkillers so my body was in really rough shape and i remember making the request was like to god i was like i will do anything you want me to do with my life if you get me out of the situation because i was actually on the brink of like ending up on the street it was the worst it was the worst situation i've ever been in and i'm so far from that now but at that point i was like basically making a deal it was it was my own distorted version of like this aspiration and surrender because i was like i will do anything with my life from this point forward if you just get me out of this mess and from that point forward someone you know offered me their home and i started getting into daily yoga and i started integrating meditation and then years later i'm on this completely different path that if you would have told me back then was my path. And even now, you know, even the work I'm doing, you could have told me like a year ago that I would be doing this and I wouldn't have believed it because my own personal will has gotten out of the way. Especially another note is when doing these manifestation techniques, it's often our own ego will. And we think, oh yeah, we're connecting to the universe is responding, but it's often our own ego that's creating. So now, you know, you and I set intentions, but this whole idea of manifesting is also coming from this personal ego will and personality self where we need to really surrender with whatever the flow of God is acting through us and whatever direction we need to go next for our soul evolution. And that's extremely hard to predict. 
Exactly. And then we start, like the mother would say from Sri Aurobindo's uh, integral yoga, we start to bargain with God, mm-hmm. right? We use God to try to use God to fulfill our own desires, ego desires and whatnot. And it's all about ourselves. And that ties also in people mistake soul purpose for many, many different things. Right? Yeah. I have that myself because they mistake sole purpose for a career, for what they do, a vocation, right? Or, you know, anything that's actually a cultural, social construct, a job, whatever it may be. Yeah. Right? But sole purpose in the true meaning of the word is just your purpose of the soul is basically unification with the divine mm-hmm. in whatever way it happens. Yeah. It's a constant process. Soul purpose is a process enough, and not, not the definition. And like you said, similar say exactly to you. Like I realize now, and I've mentioned this in in past podcasts as well. What I'm doing now, I never conscious quote unquote planned on. It was not a career move. It just started quote, manifesting itself or materializing in my own uh, based on my own process, my own inner in, uh, aspiration. Mm-hmm. And then the more we then align with that, uh, this conscious alignment or sincere aspiration with the divine and divine will as you mentioned you realize the not only the limitation but the illusion of of personal will mm-hmm. right of trying to force things willful doing and it's more merging the little will the ego making it a vessel for divine divine will to act through you individualized through you yeah and i think it's a good sign when personal will is leading the way when things are increasingly difficult, not to say that you're not going to have difficulties in your life, but it's almost like you're swimming upstream and you're also going through the same stuff over and over again. I feel like that's usually because your wounded personality self is in control. Because once you start aligning with divine will, like you'll start cycling through karma pretty fast. At least in my own experience, it may be really uncomfortable for the ego to go through it because a lot of stuff around you will change in a short period. But you're going to be access more. You're going to be accessing more of these higher states, like joy, bliss, etc. That contentment, and it's also exactly in this uh, aspiration that also requires a surrender. Surrender, and yeah. that's again surrender. The word has also been misunderstood, misused, and it's even a, you know I remember Sri Aurobindo talking about it that the American definition of the word surrender is not accurate translation of of the you know. Um, true meaning of what it means from a spiritual perspective to surrender to the divine because it's not a passive thing it's not you're just like i'm surrendering to the divine and there's non-action just being here in samadhi don't do anything Mm -hmm. surrender is more it's it's a it's an actually an active state to let a higher force this true force the divine force act through you and use you as a vessel and then action becomes even more powerful yeah, and ex- and exactly, and that surrender I find is very often accompanied with devotion. Like, unless you actually have, it's about this relationship as well. Unless you have really devotion to the, your true self and devotion to the connection of to God that rep- that is connected within you, then that surrender is not going to be very easy because you'll be like the ego is always thinking oh. like, "What's in it for me?" Etc. Exactly. That's that's. I want to note that because. Like you mentioned at the beginning, I also want to address that, that, you know, I, the word divine, especially God, was definitely triggering for me, you know, at the beginning of my spiritual path. And personally speaking, I definitely had a different upbringing than you, uh, but I was also not religiously uh, brought up. My dad is a scientist, atheist, doesn't really believe in God. And my mom, you know, was raised as a Protestant in Germany, but it was more because of social customs you know we went to church once a year mm-hmm. for christmas because everybody else did you didn't have any like profound experiences there or anything at, at church yeah no no i was just you know i read the bible and everything even school and for me um i was like reading an adventure book like mm-hmm. i was like oh this, who's this jesus guy but and also the the way i also got impressed by it, the impression that there's this outside god that judges me yeah even in jesus it's like oh jesus is the best and um... yeah yeah i mean that's all this this <laughs> you know a lot of these for me these are i realize metaphors not to be taken literal mm-hmm. right but i've no what i remember now even though my mom wasn't the full and religious person but i remember when i did something wrong here and there then my mom said god will punish you for that mm-hmm. she used that mm-hmm. against me you know yeah yeah so yeah. that kind of even you know i wasn't definitely didn't get the Catholic, didn't get the Catholic guilt programming intensely, but you still right? had it. But I still had through these little remarks yeah. that there's okay. 
I'm not only just getting punished by my parents, but by some invisible person. Mm, that's interesting because that was one thing because my mom grew up in, um, I think similar like Protestant or Anglican. I don't know. They're all the same to me, but, um, but that's one thing she didn't do is like, tell me that's like, I don't have as much of a guilt and shame program as other people. You know, even when I was doing things that people classically guilt and shame other people doing like shooting up drugs for instance i didn't feel as much guilt and shame around it you know i did feel some obviously because of what i was doing to my body but i was absent of that program because i didn't grow up in that environment as much you know it didn't exist like because that's what my mom learned from being in like uh, her own you know version of christianity whatever that was that um that that was really harmful you know and then she also you know, there's also the never mind the old predators and the priesthood and whatnot. And there's like a, 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 a very high incidence of sexual abuse um, with children happening in Catholicism, which I think oh, yeah. also points to the fact that there's some huge distortion coming through that. And, you know, this is also all of organized religion, by the way, just as a side note, what you're speaking of, you know, I remember Reggie Ray uh, talking about the people, the cities who were part of his lineage, basically. What happened is they joined the monastery and they were like, screw this, we're going to become regular people again. And they basically abandoned the monastery and became householders, meaning they like, uh, you know, worked jobs, had children. And that's where the two tantric traditions blossomed is like they left the monastery and they were like, no, if we can only find God in these places, then it's actually not real. We have to find it in everyday life. Exactly. This same you see and you know i think this is the, the these days are over you know that you have to go to a cathedral or church to connect with god oh no or, they're still happening uh, yeah still happening i know but you know i feel there's a certain awareness rising you know in our circles se yeah. separating religion from, from uh, spirituality from religion yeah like, yeah within, yeah right but or having to have go having to go through a middleman mm -hmm. the priest the pope whatever yeah right and all of that um so, yeah, so in my upbringing, like, you know, over the past 20 years in my journey, as I got deep into self-work and uh, on all levels, uh, and then engaging in spiritual work. So at some point, you're naturally confronted with your relationship to the divine and God, you know, mm -hmm. and for me, a big, it took a big turn for me. Well, let me backtrack. I had, I realized now looking back, even my childhood or early adolescent life, especially my musician years, playing drama, making music. Uh, I had experiences of the divine, mm. right? Like this deeper, that disillusion of the ego, I personality, and this installment of like, or experience of deeper bliss and love and joy and timelessness, mm -hmm. you know, especially being around in nature or when I was doing, playing music, making art or playing drums. I had these experiences of something, there's something deeper within me, there's something truer within me. And obviously I had these experiences on psychedelics back then as well, as, you know, mushrooms, DMT, but it was nothing permanent, mm -hmm. obviously. And these experiences have increased more, actually, the more I was working on myself, doing shadow work, do my trauma work, wounding what we said just at the beginning, to clear the vessel, right? To um, to establish that connection more and more to something higher that is uh, that is nothing not related to anything we uh, can think of and the mind always likes to interfere and gets triggered and likes to uh, deny because the ego personality and then infused by the anti-divine occult forces they also want to keep us in the separate this state of being disconnected from who we truly are yeah. right but i remember the trigger came up Again, for me, when I got deeper into integral yoga of Sri Aurobindo, the mother, five years ago, and started diving into the work, and he talked about the necessity to aspire and surrender to the divine, and the word divine triggered me. Mm. And even my meditations, but you shared, like, you know, when I, sh my meditations, the beginning, you know, I'm going to surrender, like, the surrender to the divine, and then my mind is trying to make some sort of abstract. What that looks like. Like, what does it look? <laughs> and, like, what's going on there? And yeah. that's, 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 the mind will never get it. It's, it will actually actively resist and deny it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then even, like, I noticed that surrender to the divine will, like, my mind, ego would, like, hold on, I don't want to surrender. I don't want to give up my sovereignty. Who, what are you surrendering to? I want what I want. I'm not going to give this up. Yeah, yeah. Right? So all of that. But then I realized on the deeper level that this was not my true self-speaking. There was an active resistance of my lower nature, of my egoic self, infused by occult forces and all of that. So it really, you know, the first step to really truly, you know, 
experience the divine is also coming into this place of stillness. That's why I feel yeah. for a consistent meditation practice is very important to get out of this mind chatter, the monkey mind, that we're, mm. the, the surface consciousness we're constantly in. Yeah. Right. And dive deeper, deeper, deeper. And then there's this present that emerges itself through coming more in contact, uh, which you, what Shiro Bindo called, would call the psychic being, your soul or your higher self. And that's the expression of the divine coming through you. Yeah. That's what happened to me when I actually moved from a big city to being in nature. And then since nature, since I hadn't lived in nature for so long, I would just get so captivated by the immense beauty of being out there that it brought me into a, a full state of presence. You know, I also had my meditation practice, which definitely deepened when I was in nature. But it's that presence. You, if your if your mind is making up a story about what someone said to you yesterday, then you're not you're not going to be able to experience that. It has to be experienced in a state of presence. And then, and, and even like through my meditation practice, I think I told you, I told you this many times, but there was a specific moment and I'll remember it forever, um, where all of a sudden, because I had used to have a constant dialogue going in my head, like my mind works very quickly. And all of a sudden it was like, I was at a party and everyone just left all of a sudden. So that voice calmed down and I still have thoughts, but it's not constant chatter that it used to go on before. And I think that constant chatter is actually what most people are dealing with as well. So if you can actually bring people into a state of presence by like attuning to them and seeing that spark in them, you can actually also connect them more to God as well through our own ability to be present to other people. That's when we start experiencing more of that. Like it's such a fundamental part of it and um, I think in that stage as well like I was basically in my escaping the world stage which I think by the way is not to be thrown out like I was I was still engaging in the world it's really hard to escape the world these days to be honest because we've become so dependent on the conveniences in the modern world but I needed to go into that period of like meditation alone in the forest you know I wasn't entirely alone but I was pretty isolated I have to say in order to really anchor that connection more and more and more and then and then yeah like over the years as I've meditated I've noticed my ability to stay present is longer and I feel it more deeply as well. Like if I'm talking to someone, it's especially if I'm doing sessions, it's very rare that I'm going to have a conversation going on in my head at the same time, which I think is why it's really important, especially when we choose someone to work with like a therapist or a coach or whatever. If they don't have their own spiritual practice, practice, then they're not really able to be present for you. I feel like I know a lot of therapists, they kind of do the top down approach, like changing your cognition and changing your thoughts and engaging with your stories. But really what we want someone to do is like truly see us and hear us and be present with us. And that allows a true self to emerge. Yeah. So which, you know, we can maybe on that note talk about our personal practices. And it's also important to understand on that note that, you know, coming in touch with, with the divine, your inner presence and divine will and all of that, God is not just reduced to the practice itself. No, no, right? No. It essentially needs to, like you mentioned, like um, seen in life and everyday life. And yeah. it's not about escaping life or trying to avoid it, hmm. avoid life, you know? Um, you know, before I get into that, just something else came into me <laughs> to, mm -hmm. to want to yeah. speak about. Because we, we mentioned at the beginning the distortion of God and divine uh, in regards to dogmatic traditions of escaping life, yeah. right? Reaching heaven, the aesthetics or the Catholics, right? Denying the physical world and all of that. This is Maya. This is an illusion. Mm -hmm. uh, but there needs to be reversed. We need to anchor and spiritualize our being in the world and embrace life, yeah. right? To spiritualize the world. Interestingly, I see the same pattern of these old dogmatic religions in the New Age Ascension community or mm -hmm. fringe community. Who claim, you know, even when people talk about similar stuff, I talk about the matrix control system, hyperdimensional matrix, and that has overtaken. Uh, humanity and this planet and this is a prison planet right and even to the point of that claiming that the tunnel of light is a trap and the reincarnation cycle is a trap and we need to get out of it and not reincarnate and like trying to escape the world basically yeah you know this yeah. whole which i realized all these theories are actually infused by the predator occult hostile forces themselves 
And in as the well. truth movement, I don't hear them talk about like God or anything. No, no, no. That's many of them. They're mostly atheists. Many yeah? atheists, especially anarchists, no relationship. Yeah. That's what I see. You know, there's the baby being thrown out of the bathwater, and not many people have actually deeper spiritual practice. Yeah. But it, it, interestingly, I see the same mindset about essentially escaping the world, getting away, getting out of here. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's the same approach like uh, the aesthetics or even the Catholics. Like, we need to reach heaven. This this world sucks, or this is this is sin, this is evil. And by the way, that's also a red flag whenever you see the new age people like, oh, I'm ascending, I've reached 5D, now 60, now 90, now 11. You know what? Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> um, because what I've noticed just in my own experience, because I've accessed states of consciousness that are ve- way above my regular range, you know, and that just shows me how much more work I have to do because it's about anchoring that down. And yes, we can touch these peak states or peak experiences, but the reason that they're peak experiences is because our normal baseline is actually quite low. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That reminds me of what Adyashanti said, that we don't need to seek out altered states of consciousness because we are in an altered state of consciousness exactly. already. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. This is not who we truly are. Exactly. But going back, that's that's what I come to realize too. I'm This whole, especially nowadays, more where people talking about ascension into 5D, 60, 70, this ascension process, right? And I realized this is, no, this is not how this process works. It's not about ascending. And even I've used the word ascension as well, but always in quote, quote, quotation marks, Mm -hmm. because it's not about ascending somewhere else. In the end, it's about bringing down the descent and ascent at the same time to anchor the divine force in the body as the vehicle for quote unquote ascension yeah. to a high ascension to high state of being it doesn't mean we are going into some you know all these new age uh, ideas of five you know people throw these words around 5d 60 70 they just become like without picked it up somewhere and then they become memes almost yeah all right and it ties a lot of spiritual bypassing and and very typically very ungrounded people by the very, way i'm making a generalization but yeah typically. yeah De- definitely right when there's actually again it's not about escaping this world not about ascending into some other reality or dimension it's like no we're bringing it down here into the world into our bodies yeah. and embracing life more fully right yeah so yeah that's just almost on the side now that could be a topic on its own but i see this you know again a lot of what I see in the New Age or in the French movement about trying to escape this planet, this matrix, is no different what the aesthetics did in India or the Catholics, dogmatic Catholic Christians yeah. of, uh, you know, seeing that, you know, we are born in sin and we need to go upwards somewhere into heaven and not come back here. That's what also Buddha did before he started teaching people meditation. Is he was he was one of those aesthetics. He used to like meditate in graveyards and do the whole aesthetic, aesthetic thing for a while. And then w- through I don't know from the time he came enlightened, I, I suppose he was just engaging the world, just teaching people meditation, teaching people meditation. You know, so he, like I feel like there's a point you know, where people try those kinds of things and they try like abandoning, like, you know, on the more extreme new age things, people become breatharians, you know, they try and get as grounded as as possible and then they need to anchor They're themselves They're trying to forcefully down. achieve a state. Yeah, which by the way, it reminds me, I think we've said this on other podcasts, but Reggie Reyes has great quote. He's like, when you think, it's in regards to your own spiritual process, when you think something is happening in your spiritual process, nothing is happening. And when you think something is, uh, nothing is happening, that's when something is happening. Yeah, because I think also what people ask, you know, we I remember that we had this discussion on one of our Zoom calls with the with the membership group on the forum. People were talked about well, how do you experience the divine, and people think that's just this, you know, you know, this higher bliss, enlightened state of full ecstasies and angels playing harps next to you and all of that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there can be sometimes peak experiences, but for my own personal experience, it's very subtle. It's more a subtle experience beyond the mind, beyond the five senses of really recognizing the interrelationship of it all to really on an embodied level know, not intellect, that there's nothing wrong with reality Mm. and everything has its place. And I'm not saying this as a new age cop out, you know, but it's a deeper inner experience, right? That there's something else wearing itself out and understanding that I, my limitations of my perceptions and ego, what I divide between good and bad you know, and all of that, not underseeing, not even coming close to understanding the the bigger picture of what is what is anchoring itself here, right? What is truly happening, and also 
but I've talked about the role of evil and these forces that have a teaching function and, and the play of duality. So it's more this recognition on a deeper level and then actually truly seeing God, the divine, in other people. And I've experienced this, we obviously we experience in our relationship, but I experience this in daily life sometimes when I truly intuit out of my mind, embodied, you know, in my embodied, not only in body, but connected to, to my essence, you know, look into other people's eyes and I see the divine spark in them as an expression of the divine. I see this a lot, especially when I work with clients one-on-one after, you know, when I do body work, there's a deeper connection like you are me, I am you, yeah. right? And you can see through the appearances, through the cross, through the wounds and traumas, and there's a deeper recognition on beyond the five senses, right? And that's, for me, the experience of the divine and it also manifests in synchronicities. I even see this, and what we call people who are asleep or quote-unquote simple people in everyday life. You know, the person, you know, at the uh, the grocery store checks out my food or whenever we go like this, you know, when you can drop into that, yeah. you know, if you get out of, you know, if you're able to get out of your ego-separative consciousness. Yeah, because I think what you're alluding to is just a state of being, you know, and um, I think especially... It, I think what people are mistaking to, uh, for like this higher spiritual awakening happening because so many people are interested in spirituality, what I see personally is actually there's a lot of spiritual materialism happening there and a lot of people's egos getting caught up in spirituality. That's just what I see. Maybe that's a projection from within me, but I don't like true spirituality. I feel I've seen a higher level of being in people who have no spiritual practice. You know, you never know where you're going to find it. And especially like, you know, randomly, I'll see I've, I've noticed if I make eye contact with people who are like begging the street for money often because they've basically surrendered in a, in, in a way, you know, um, there's a high there's a, there can be a high level of presence and being there as well. Um, but I just wanted to what you just said about. Uh, you know, it's not about becoming something out there. I wanted to quote Reggie Ray's uh, quote when he's referring to Tantra, like true Tantric, not this neo-Tantra where you have sex parties and engage with strangers, but true Tantra is using all of reality as a spiritual process, basically, yeah. like engaging. Just saying real quick, because that's important, because nowadays the word Tantra is literally equated with sex or yeah, sexuality. Yeah, that's totally, yeah, that's a distortion. But yeah. that happened for a reason, I'm sure. But, yeah. okay, so here's, it's two quotes together, and we're just going to read them together. Uh, Tantra is found in the raw human emotions. It's found in the meltdowns. It's found in the incredible, painful disruptions we have with the people we love. It's found in the earth under us. The important part is that spirituality, as it's viewed in the tantric tradition, is not about becoming someone higher, bigger, or better. It's not a self-improvement technique. That's a key thing. It's not about figuring out a way to get rid of unwanted parts of our personality. It's not about becoming peaceful. It's not about becoming kind and loving to everybody, although that is the end result. Tantra is about letting go of all of our attempts to try to change ourselves. It's about surrendering to everything we are and being willing to be one with it. And that's also how we go through this process of transmutation in our emotions. The more that we try and deny our anger, which is what a lot of these religions are about, like denial, 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 the more we're actually not allowing that transmutation process to come forward. And they talk about that in, um, you know, a lot of trauma, trauma resolution is like you have to feel it in order to heal it. So the more that we're being like, oh, we shouldn't be this and this and this, a spiritual person isn't this way. That's actually the gateway that we need to enter to embody more compassion for ourselves and the human experience. Yeah. Exactly, beautiful, very beautifully said. To bring it out into everyday life, not to escape life. You know, I, I also noticed the more I come in touch with my true essence, you can call it the divine, to so this internal alignment, the more I naturally embrace life and people, I don't fight the world anymore, mm -hmm. right? It's almost like being more, you can see it from any other tradition or like the Tao's tradition, being more flowing in the rhythm of life, the Tao, right? Like you're like a martial artist gracefully embracing life. It doesn't mean that, <clears throat> excuse me, it doesn't mean that there won't be any challenges happening, but you're more like, like Bruce Lee, become like water, right? You're able to dance with, the, uh, with life and whatever it brings at you, knowing that everything, whatever you're being confronted with as a challenge is also a deeper lesson mm -hmm. for your own soul evolution. So you naturally embrace life. You don't resist it anymore. Yeah. Right. And you also 
be, make decisions from a wiser perspective, not, you know, because of your own sincere inner work coming off alignment of who you truly are, your decisions. Even your wants, needs, and desires are not coming from this wounded or traumatized self. It's trying this whole, this lack within trying to fulfill something by external means, mm -hmm. right? And hence, you're not pushing your will onto the world by a willful doing. Mm -hmm. Like you said, we are similar to you and I. We, you know, yeah, we have certain intentions and dreams in our lives and whatnot, but it's coming with this more unattached intention, right? Working with that rather than forcefully trying to manifest, forcefully trying to reach a goal with this ambition behind it. Yeah. You know, that's another thing if, you know, if you're meditating with an ambition. Then. Yeah, that's like self-defeating in itself. Although I did that <laughs> at a point because I was just so desperate to kind of calm my mind down. But it's only in those moments where I was just kind of doing it um, and not having an intention for it that I had the most profound experiences. So did you want to read a quote or? You yeah, want, yeah. yeah. The, the right's my own quote, <laughs> something I wrote. But that relates to that, you mm -hmm. know, like an, yeah. I've, there's something I wrote in an essay. So maybe some listeners may be um, familiar with that. And I call it, which I've realized through my own experiences, uh, that's basically signs that you're becoming more aligned with the, with the divine, with divine will, which is also your true essence, right? Your true self. And it ties in what we just said. One ambition, vital desires like desires, passions or whatnot, based mostly on wounds and conditioning, Ambition, vanity, the need for attention to be liked or desired, the notion and pressure to become something or someone, any comparison, competition with others or even dislike of others all fall slowly away, as do any triggers and reactive behaviors, mm -hmm. right? Because that's a true, your true being, your true essence is full within itself, right? It doesn't need outside, um, you know, confirmation, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Um, Second one, a deep and embodied sense of peace, trust of faith and being taken care of and as in trusting the flow of life, knowing that any challenge that will come up serves as a deeper lesson for the purpose of a true awakening. That's what I mentioned before. You're not fighting the world. You're not getting into anxiety, worry or fear because you, you know, when the, you know, the ego is in charge, it always sees everything as a threat. Yeah, it's fearful. Fear of death, right? It's fear of everything. Exactly. And then it goes to the next point. It's the end of fear and blame, the death of ego identification and the rebirth of the real I am, embodied spirit, soul, individualized, and expressing itself uniquely through you, connected to all that is. Then willful, de willful doing dissipates to be replaced by an embodied responding to what is and what life brings that is uniquely tuned to your soul lessons and talents. It guides you from an embodied inner place without expectations and attachments to outcome. And like I just said before, goal setting and ambition are replaced with a quiet aspiration with intention, but, but without expectations or need to control. Making choices and decisions don't stem from a thought process anymore, any head-centric analysis of should or shouldn't, but emerge from a gut level of nonverbal intuitive knowing deeply tuned in with your soul and the divine, which also reminds me of expression of becoming more in alignment with the divine, your true self is also the spontaneity. Mm -hmm. right yeah. and spontaneity not just reckless like i'm doing whatever here and there driven by your passions right mm -hmm. yeah you, you know what i mean there's it there's something different yeah yeah there's a deeper yeah that's not spontaneity though that's like that's like you're driven by almost your animal nature more than anything now yeah 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 and then life becomes like a dance in the river of life as we don't find the current anymore being zone, in zone and locked in the rhythm of life, the Tao aligned with divine will. Yeah. So these are some aspects I have experienced in myself. And it's, it's not easy. I mean, I'm not saying that I'm always aligned completely in that flow, yeah. right? My own stuff comes up, my triggers sometimes, you know, I'm better aligned than other. I'm not enlightened, right? Um, yeah, I've only been in that state that I know of once completely with my whole being. And I remember 
I was, this is so cliche, but this was what happened to me. There was this like cave in outside Rishikesh where these enlightened sages went to go meditate. And it's a high spiritual hot spot. You know, any place where the people were meditating for a really long time, you start building up the energy there. But I was, I think it was like two hours of meditation I did there. I had like a cab driver who drove me there and just waited outside the cave for me, essentially like up the path. And then I remember like in when in my meditation, it, I, I can't even describe it, but it was basically like all my naughties were unlocking. Like there was some weird rearranging of my assemblage points, I guess you could say. And I didn't actually feel anything in the meditation. But then when I went out in the world, I was profoundly at peace with everything. There was like no resistance. I saw the meaning behind everything without even being able to tell you what it was like, but just this profound sense of peace and appreciation and love for everything. And because my own, I, I was so used to my own like ego being in control. I remember my ego was getting, getting in the way of the, just embracing the experience and being like, how are you going to manage being in the world like this? How are you going to get everything down? It's like my super ego came down and this is just my own state of being that was in my body, but my own super ego was still judging it. And I've experienced before that super ego coming in and kind of judging the experience is often what kicks you out of it as well or another thing will come in and it'll be like oh my god i'm so enlightened now i'm so much better than yeah, other that's people the that's classic, another thing that's that comes classic, in as well like the ego hijacking these experiences right exactly but that i think in my in my process there because i was really sincere and i was like okay i'm gonna go meditate you know in the it's place in this certain ashram which had really good energy and i was really sincere in my process and that was one moment in exactly the moment when I felt it shouldn't have came, I was actually hit by my first really profound experience of divine grace. And I've told this story to you, but I want to tell it to the podcast listeners is, um, so at ashrams, you're not supposed to smoke weed and go in there. It's just like a, a rule that exists, you know, but I found in my hostel that I was staying at before I was staying in this ashram, this guy who was selling hash and I was like, so I got some and I smoked hash and I went to the ashram to meditate. And right when I was enter, about to enter the room of basically the guru who had left his body, I felt this energy being like, don't enter. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to go in. It was very strong, almost like a psychic force field. And so I didn't go in. I went outside uh, his room to meditate anyway, and I started listening to the Gayatri Mantra, which we've played at our retreat as well, and it's a very powerful version of this song. That's actually, I found out, was the mantra of that ashram. So I was listening to that mantra, and I was also, you know, just whispering it to myself, and all of a sudden I actually felt that energy of the guru in front of me. And I real and at that moment, it was like I was instantly forgiven for everything wrong that I ever thought I did, including my own judgments about smoking pot. And I really realized it was only my own judgments which that were creating that and that nothing was wrong. And that base I, I, that's all the only way I can describe it is being like imagine being feeling in a completely embodied way, instantly forgiven for everything that you think you've done wrong. Because from the perspective of God, that's actually how it is. Like even the person who's the murderer, the mass murderer in solitary confinement from a God perspective, God has already forgiven them. That's how I feel. Um, so that was extremely, and I just was like sobbing the entire time. And it was, it was, it was very, it was probably my most intense experience of God. And it made me realize how much, you know, the mind and our own super ego judges ourselves for things. I think that also comes from maybe this long tradition of shaming ourselves for, for, for things that we do and saying that there's right and wrong. You know, obviously there are actions that can bring forward more positive experience in our life, but it is all a lesson at the, on the greater perspective. And we give ourselves the hardest time, actually. Exactly. I mean, in the sense... Even the Zen perspective, they say you know, thought is the source of all suffering, mm -hmm. right? And especially our in internal dialogue, be it even infused by occult forces injected. Most, these are not even our own thoughts. We have picked up, you know, from childhood, our parental stuff, society, and our own internal critic, you know, which is not who we truly are. We have to keep this in mind. That's why also when you work with people, there's this aspect of rejection as well, which has its place. Mm -hmm. And Sri talked with, with the triple transformation of aspiration, rejection, and surrender. Aspiration to the divine rejection of our lower nature, 
you know, and as, and surrender to the divine. And I think that's also just rejection of the outside influences that do not support our spiritual Exactly. Path. Reject, because it can be tricky. You don't want to fall rejection. You don't want to fall into the trap of the aesthetics of suppression or <laughs> and denial. Or allowing your own ignorance, you know, like yeah. being like, oh, I'm just going to forget that or but, something. Exactly. But rejection of like, you know, certain, sometimes these thoughts come in the inner critic because your true self would not have negative thoughts about yourself yeah you know what i mean and you also have the discipline it's like if you like if you don't reject certain impulses in you you're, you're often a very undisciplined mind like exactly. if i'm like oh i'm gonna go look at um you know something that i know is going to be damaging to me like watch some violent tv show i don't watch violent tv shows just an example you know you have that thought if you don't learn how to reject that yeah thought, reject also these impulses these vital impulses, impulses yeah. like the desires what we're drawn to that's it's driven by our lower nature very mechanical yeah the ego you know, is also very impulsive that's you know, how you ego, know and then you know sexual energy when it comes from a lower nature that can you know people yeah. are driven that's why you know people watch porn for example yeah that's why right. this ability of self-observation is really important to just observe your thought mm -hmm. and then also use your higher knowledge so you know if you have this impulse to do something use this witness to actually work through it you know and that's how we can kind of start discerning what what will be uh, help us on the path and what may kind of derail us a little bit because we can make our job not our job but we can make our journey go much slower yeah. if we keep repeating the same exactly i mean any form of deeper spiritual practice in yoga and it's itself you know like uh, like shirabhana said life is yoga all is yoga it's a whole new way of existing and to catalyze your own spiritual awakening or process right that's the whole point of a spiritual practice in mm -hmm. the sense but you cannot um step any um uh, skip any steps what i'm saying uh but you know that's why in terms of what you just mentioned the importance is to established with the observer that's why this comes into the question again a very important question on the path what I, we mentioned in the beginning who am i know thyself who's my true self you know mm -hmm. and like i said most people myself included on the journey mistake all kinds of ego identification wants needs and desires for a true self which is not who we truly are mm -hmm. but then you want to dive deeper through you know all these these uh, practices but also basic psychotherapeutic somatic work to work through your wounds and traumas to connect to essence but especially stilling your mind consistent meditation practice to be able to step outside yourself to observe your different parts your mentals your thoughts your vital emotional desires your physical impressions and your body that's then we can come closer to who we truly are and make wiser decisions in our lives and just the awareness alone initiates certain changes within the being yeah and i saw this image once i wish i saved it but even if i saved it i had so many iphones i wouldn't have it by now but anyway it, it so it had an image it's of the monkey mind and so it was like several images of a man with a monkey and at first the monkey you know it was this man and he had the monkey and he was totally taking over his head like totally covering it and then slowly the monkey moves to his back and then slowly he kind of is holding on to his back and then eventually the guy is walking with the monkey on a leash behind it and that's kind of how our relationship with our monkey mind develops over the process mm -hmm. of meditation most people who have zero meditation practice i'm saying most people not all people because i met people who actually have a high state of being who are very simple people who probably don't meditate at all but their life is a meditation right. especially people who have to work with nature a lot of the time like if you're working in a garden for the most part like you have to be present or else if you don't be present you're going to mess up something you know and then your whole crop is going to go to waste so a lot of people who actually work i've noticed especially people who work as farmers like this is a way that they have to be present like you just have to be because you're connected to something and you have to be aware of what you're doing in the moment but for most of us who live in the modern world especially because we've been taught through a lot of our academic conditioning to really strengthen the mind that the mind is like going in chaos all the time and not only that never mind our technology and all the news that we're subjected to all the time so, so for the most part like people have this constant dialogue going in their head and it's like the monkey or maybe even multiple monkeys are like running the show it's just like jumping from thought to thought to thought and it's not to you know demonize this process because it's just an aspect of how when the mind starts quickening you know it, it works like especially i notice 
you know, for myself, if I were to not meditate for a few days, I do notice my mind gets very ADD, you know, and that's kind of the, con- that's also the condition of like, when we're uncomfortable as well, we just jump from thing to thing to thing because something's actually going on in the body and we're trying to ignore it. And I also feel like this meditation process um, is evolving over time before, you know, it was, a, I've, I've heard of a lot of meditations. It's like focus on the third eye, focus on mantras. That's all well and good. But now I'm noticing more of a trend of somatic meditation and working with the body. And I think that we're more moving into this phase of like earth-based spirituality. Because if you also, I've noticed, this is obviously also a generalization, but many indigenous people, what we value in them is their state of presence. Like they're very grounded, present people too. Typically, even if they have no spiritual practice at all, it's just in their lineage because their ancestors were working with the elements. They're working in tune with nature. They're not that far as far removed as some of us. So I think this is more what we're trying to anchor here on Earth is being able to work in tune with nature again and trust our intuition and trust the information we're getting from the environment. Because that's also our alignment with the divine is when we're able to like translate everything that is through our body as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, as we getting closer to the end of the first hour, yeah, definitely in the second hour, we, I would like to get more into also getting into more practical advice uh, with, with regards to a consistent uh, spiritual meditation practice. We can share more what we do personally, but also on recognizing that's an individual process. Yeah, I will take to on later on. Also, it's very important to understand the actual necessity to ha- um, build a healthy ego first before we can surrender to the divine, because that's missing in our uh, Western civilization as well. A lot of people deal with a very low self-esteem, low sense of self-love, insecurities, wounds, and traumas. Who you know we can almost bypass a necessary process of healthy ego creation before we can truly surrender to the divine. And Sri Aurobindo talked about this Gurdjieff as well. Like you need to, or what is the quote by Carl Jung? The first half of your, it's something I'm paraphrasing, but something like the first half of your life is uh, related to building a healthy ego and, and the, the second, second half, half is destroying it or something along those lines. Yeah, but there's truth in that. There's a paradox, but there's truth to that, yeah, right? Yeah. And then we also, I want to talk about but I've, you know, basically uh, found out to be the four steps of holistic inner work. I want to go deep into that. I'm actually writing an essay about that uh, as well that relates to physical, mental, psychological, and spiritual work. And, um, and obviously the current times we're in right now. And also, again, the anti-divine forces or call forces, because here's the thing. People ask so much about protection against these forces, what we can do and all of that. The only place they cannot be touched by these self. forces is your true self, your psychic being, your, yeah. if, uh, your alignment of the divine. Oh, that's-, that's, that's, you know... And any esoteric tradition uh, talks exactly about that. So that's your own uh, protection. But I see, again, so many people, and I'm, I'm not taking myself out of the equation, especially in the past, are resistant to this true surrender to the divine mm-hmm. and what that means and that aspiration. You know, we want to talk about the world and all of that, what's going on, what are the solutions. But no, the solution is right here in front of us. And so, you know, and that it relates to coming to terms with God and the divine and what that what does it mean our relationship and anchoring that force within us mm-hmm. yeah yeah and that also reminds me i also want to touch on something gabor mate said about um our childhood traumas as well and why you know as long as we try and blame how we felt off of on our parents or whatever we're going to still externalize our problems for out there but the true the true trauma that happened is we lost connection to our true self and essence. Exactly. And so if we look at it that way, then we can always actually get that back. We don't have to yep. wait until our parents somehow wake up or if they're dead, it's unfortunate. It's not going to happen, but that's, yeah. that's how we can take full self-responsibility as well. You can even tie it into genetic modification of humanity, the alien intervention, whatnot, mm-hmm. which has its place in the biggest um, evolution of consciousness, the bigger picture. Nothing is being done to us. You know what I mean? It's all, all these are lessons yeah. in the sense. But, you know, like this original trauma of disconnecting us from who we truly are, right, mm-hmm. of through this modification and whatnot. So we're finding our way back home or to a higher spiritualized being. But I want to quote at the end uh, the mother, uh, Sri Yobinda's partner from Integral Yoga, 
and hinting at what what I just mentioned before, we have we are in this intense time. You know, there's a lot of darkness coming up, which has its place. The Kali Kali Yuga and so much stuff happening, and people ask, "What should we do?" And we have, you know, most of us people are fighting shadows on the wall in the 3D world, the atrocities and all of that. But the solution is right here if we would be willing to surrender to it. So she writes, at the moment, we are at a decisive turning point in the history of the earth, once again. From every side, I'm asked, what is going to happen? Everywhere there's anguish, expectation, fear. What is going to happen? There's only one reply. If only man could consent to be spiritualized. And perhaps it would be enough if some individuals become pure gold, for this would enough to change the course of events. We are faced with this necessity in a very urgent way. This courage, this heroism, which the divine wants of us, why not use it to fight against our own difficulties, one's own imperfections, one's own obscurities? Why not heroically face the furnace of inner purification, so that it does not become necessary to pass once more through one of those terrible, gigantic destructions which plunges, which plunge an entire civilization into darkness? This is the problem before us. It is for each one to solve in his own way. Mm-hmm. And that's really what it comes down to. We have seen this in ancient uh, civilization, Atlantis, Lumeria and whatnot. If we don't heed the voice of the divine, really, and truly really, like, do what is necessary within ourselves to purify ourselves, to anchor the divine and surrender to this divine force, right, and understand that all the dogmatic views of religious views of God and divine has also been programmed by us, Conditioned by these occult forces, by not trusting us, by strengthening our ego personality, and strengthening our need for the external for the, what to do. and external, and then looking for external guidance. You know, looking for the savior, the leader, trying to blame constantly outside world and other people, and that feeds what I've talked about before: the matrix agenda or frequency of divide and conquer. Mm-hmm. So, alignment with the divine, surrender to the divine is the quote-unquote the way out for your own quote-unquote salvation and the world, right? Mm-hmm. But it's an internal process. So you have anything else to say before we close the first hour? No, that's it. And once again, um, for the second hour, join our membership forum, and we can also discuss more about this podcast on there. Yes, and you can join at veilofreality.com. See you guys at the second hour. <laughs> <laughs>